You are listening to Her Time to Retire, a podcast dedicated to helping women gain the knowledge, confidence, and support they need to achieve financial success and emotional fulfillment when planning for retirement. If you are ready to finally take charge of your financial life, then keep listening. Your hosts are Glenn Price and Jonathan Scott founders of Keystone Financial Resources in Brentwood, Tennessee. Both men specialize in crafting individualized retirement plans for women and have a passion for helping women discover and achieve their retirement goals. Glenn is a husband and father of four who was taught early in life through his relationship with his grandmother how a woman can not only take charge of her own destiny, but also positively influence the lives of her family and friends that surround her. Jonathan, husband and father of three, attributes his own success to the strong women in his life, including his wife Brooke and his mother Suzanne. Both men together want to help more women live out their dreams in retirement. As always, if you have retirement questions, their phone lines are open at 615-661-9554, or you can visit their website to browse information, view upcoming events, or subscribe to the Her Time to Retire weekly newsletter. Just visit www.keystonefinancialresources.com. Now relax and enjoy the conversation. We want to welcome you to Her Retirement Podcast, where we empower women to learn how to take control of their finances and their destinies. Uh, Good afternoon. I'm Glenn Price, along with my business partner and long-term friend, Jonathan Scott. And today we're here with Will Cartwright, who uh, is an estate planning attorney who owns Cartwright Law. And we uh, wanted to have Will on the show today because estate planning can be one of those things that can be scary. It can be complicated. uh, But the truth is, is that uh, it's something that's necessary and uh, it doesn't have to be scary. So we're excited to have Will on the call today, aren't we, Jonathan? Absolutely. And Will... Hey, tell us a little bit about your history before we jump in here, Will. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, guys and, and gentlemen, and you too, Glenn. A uh, little history. Born and raised in Franklin, Tennessee. My family is from Franklin. Uh, dad, grandparents, all that. So uh, living in Murfreesboro now. So moved here, in, entered college at NTSU, got a bachelor's degree there, and from MTSU with a with a job relocation kind of during college, uh, right after college, actually uh, relocated to Montgomery, Alabama to help with a startup uh, business down there. And while down there, went to Troy University on the campus of Montgomery, got an MBA there. You know, the, the dream's always kind of been to have your own business, you know, do your own thing and it was around that time. I've always been interested in law, but it was it was kind of then that you know, I decided I'd like to I'd like to do that. And um, when we got got transferred back through that same that same uh, business company that I was with at the time, and went ahead and applied to law school uh, after the MBA and went through law school. And uh, during that whole time, you know, continued to work and. Uh, I was with a transportation company, worked as a terminal manager, and then eventually up to a regional level. Um, and once once we got the, the you know, law school was now over 10 years ago when I entered in law school and been running the own law practice now for this is a little over, little over five years going on six. And uh, when you first get out of law school, it's like, you know, what, what do you want to do? What kind of area? Because you can't be a 
you can't you can't be a generalist in law, or you shouldn't be. And so uh, that first year or two, I was trying to figure it out, but always interested in estate planning and and um, you know helping you know kind of getting in that. So the last several years, that's that's been the focus. Yeah, your website says it's the favorite part of what you do. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> Tell, right. Why, why is that? It, uh, when I was reading on your website, it talked about uh, that the estate planning. Uh, gave you more satisfaction than any other area of law. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, when you're talking about law, it's you either can be a a litigation attorney, you know, because I also do family law, and and it really is starting out uh, learning that that's kind of where you got into. And with family law, you're you're it's a lot of litigation, so it's a lot of you um, you're in court a lot. It's uh, it's a different area of law and there's some satisfaction in that too, but there's also a ton of stress and no matter how much you, uh, when you take, when you do those kinds of cases, there is no such thing as a winner or a loser in, in most litigation anyway, but especially in family law matters, no, no one's going to come out of a family law case and Hey, I won that or I got everything I want. That's, that's just not how it goes uh, for either side you know, more times than not. So, so because of that, you know, when you, when you step back, you know, I used to cut grass and that kind of helped pay for college and help pay for my wife's college. And, uh, so, you know, you always, when you step back and looked at what you cut, I always got a good sense of satisfaction. You know, you look at what you did and make the yard look nice. And, you know, that's similar, that same feeling kind of comes with estate planning. You, you always want to try to do a job that's when you get done with that, that you give them more than what they expected and you want to make the process easy for them. And, uh, you know, we get a lot of those, uh, comments after we meet with clients and go through the whole process. We, we just closed one last week and, uh, you know, that's what they said, you know, that's a lot easier than I thought and, you know, appreciate all the, uh, you know, the, the help and the extra information and kind of walking them through the, what they had to do for their estate plan. So I guess what we mean, you're, you're helping, you're helping people and, you know, with all, without all the, lot of the hostility, which, you know, sometimes even in estate planning, you, you tend to get some of that too. You know, we, we do probate as well. And in some cases there'll be some contestion that may come up in a probate case that, you know, you'll be into that, but you know, that's part of it. Well, you, you know, Will, um, some of our, our listeners are, 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 are women uh, who have uh, who've maybe lost a husband or even gone through divorce. Can you talk about some of the things that these ladies need to be thinking about, you know, as it relates to the basics of, of, of how to get started uh, in, in creating an estate plan and why that's important? Well, th there's really a lot of topics you can cover there. That's pretty broad. But, you know, the first thing that may come to mind is if, if you've been separated, whether it's, it's by death or especially in a divorce situation that, that uh, I think you mentioned, if you had a will during that marriage and you divorce, a divorce doesn't necessarily cancel that, that estate plan that you set up. Now, there are some exceptions in Tennessee code about, uh, you know, property. And if you had a will and got divorced and you didn't, uh, you didn't change your will, then it may there there are exceptions for the property transfers uh, as opposed to going back to the other the ex spouse now, but you know beneficiary designations and all that kind of stuff 
it'll be a world of uh, it'll be a big mess um, if if that you know spouse now passes away and the wife's you know never changed the out of state plan. So the wishes may not be to go to the ex-husband or the, uh, you know, now possibly deceased ex-husband so, um, and his family. So you, um, so you do got the, the beneficiary designations that needs to be updated, the, the wills and, or even a trust that was created. All that stuff needs to be updated. Well, uh, for years and years when I would think about estate planning, you know, it really seemed like a... Um, a daunting subject to, to tackle. And I'd sit and I'd think about it and I think, hey, you know, that's something that's going to dictate things, you know, when I'm dead. And it's a lot of words and a lot of legalese and ins and outs, but at the end of the day, you know, it's the least exciting thing you could, uh, you could do. Uh, perspective now has changed greatly. Uh, I see that over the years as, as uh, uh, really breaking down to security in people's lives. And so, that satisfaction makes a lot more sense to me uh, than it used to over time. But as I'm seeing couples go through the process on a regular basis, um, I'm seeing that it comes down to security. They're going ahead and feeling secure operating in their daily life based on the fact that they've got some things laid out in front of them. They've already made some decisions and they're walking away from that feeling uh, secure. Is that where your satisfaction comes from? That's right. Uh, you know, kind of the, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's slogans, the right word, but I know, you know, we were trying to figure out, you know, what we think about estate planning, you know, me and you know, my wife helps me out in, in my business as well. So, you know, one of the things that came up was, you know, your legacy, your peace of mind. And, you know, you, you touched on the, your peace of mind. So if you have this estate plan, I think you sleep better at night, you know, or if you, you know, a lot of people contact us. They're ready to take a vacation or, you know, they're going to get on an airplane or they're, so we, we see that a lot. So it's that peace of mind that they're looking for if they're going to do something like that. Um, so peace of mind is part of that for sure. And, you know, legacy, I guess legacy has different meanings. You know, it, it means what you give to or distribute to someone or bequest to someone. But the other part of it is, it's kind of what, you know, what you're leaving behind is, uh, you know, how much control do you want after you've passed away? And so these are all the options. And, you know, there is no one estate plan that fits everybody. It's, it's you know, when people, someone comes in for a, an estate consult, you know, one of the first things you do is you ask, you know, what, what are their goals? What are they trying to, what are they trying to accomplish? And, and that's going to take you, down different roads because uh, what their goals are, there's not necessarily, uh, there may be only one way to get to that goal or, you know, there's some things a will just can't do that a trust can. And so these are all the factors that come up in that estate plan and really trying to achieve their goals. But and again, when we're talking about estate plan, we're not just talking about a will or a trust. There's, you know, for a really a true complete estate plan, you know, wills are trust through the distributions, and and they're effective. Typically, uh, a will is definitely effective upon death. Trusts got some, can be uh, arranged in different ways, but that's the really the main purpose is to distribute those assets to to beneficiaries. But the other part of a state plan is you know having powers of attorney for uh, for health care and for financial uh, decision making, and and those are during 
ones on lifetime. It's just they kick in when you can't do it for yourself. Let me ask you something real quick. My mind always goes to the flip side, Will. And, uh, you know, I would just be asking, uh, what happens if you don't do it? You know, let's, let's say that I don't make that decision to put one together. You know, what's the real ramifications here in Tennessee? So, um, it, it's, it's a lot of people don't, don't really understand that or realize what happens if you don't have an estate plan. So let's say you know, one passes away and they never had an estate plan. So that's called intestate, a little legal word for, you know, someone passed away without a will or a trust. So they died intestate. Well, then, then the, the laws of Tennessee kick in. And so if a spouse passes away with children, let's say they have one child and one spouse. Well, a lot of people don't understand that that child now becomes uh, an inheritor immediately upon the other parent's death. So um, the way the, the statute is, is read, it's that surviving spouse gets one third or a child's share. So if there's one child that's, you know, one child and a spouse that survived, then the spouse gets 50% of the probate estate, and then the child gets 50% of the probate estate. And uh, that's a shock uh, in a lot of cases. And if there's if there's three, you know, so then there's going to be a one-third, 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 and the, the surviving spouse will always get at least minimum one-third of that estate. You know, another, another um, uh, conversation that we have with clients. I had a, a meeting with a client the other day and it really has to do with a, a blended family. And, um, uh, and so it's like, okay, when, when, if someone is in a blended family and they had children from previous marriage, you know, what kind of things, um, do those children, like, for example, the, the, the mother got sick and her daughter, uh, didn't have access and the husband, which was not her, her, you know, her biological father wouldn't give her access to the, um, uh, to the will, uh, and just kept, you know, uh, pushing things off and changing some things. What types of things can, can, can those people do in those situations? Yeah, that's, that's very common. And, and we get a lot of people coming in in that situation and, and really the, the best, the best route in that scenario is going to be a trust. And it's also, and I'll, I'll kind of maybe try not to get off the subject too much, but I think it's important to point out that we see that a lot and we see a lot of mistakes. And we've had people come in to try to avoid that. They'll put their children on the deed, like of the property. And that's a common thing we see. And then they don't understand if you put your child on a on a deed of a property during your lifetime, you you just there's a thing called stepped up in basis. Still, when we're dealing with capital gains, so if you own a piece of property and uh, you sell that property during your lifetime as your owner, you know there's a capital gains. If you bought it for a hundred thousand, you sell it for two hundred thousand. There's a hundred thousand capital gains. And so if you give if you put your your children on that deed. Uh, during the lifetime and then you pass away, yes, your children now become sole owner of that property. So that, that will now keep, you know, potentially keep that away from uh, the other uh, spouse if they were remarried. But there's also a, a capital gains that now that child has to pay 
and it's the same capital gains rate that you know the person that passed away would have paid if they sold it. So, however, if, if someone inherits that piece of property, they get stepped up. So, in that same same uh, example of a hundred thousand purchase price, sell it for two hundred thousand later, if the child inherits that property from their parent in this scenario, then they get stepped up to the basis, meaning the value of the property at the time of the inheritance. So if the property is worth 200000 the child inherits the property, and the child theoretically sold the property for 200000 there is no tax. The child can now pocket any uh, capital gains tax-free. So there's a lot of things to consider, but uh, you know, going now going back to your question, so we see that a lot. Um, and to me, that's a mistake. And there's other reasons really not to put your children on deeds. There's also some liability exposure there as well. But, uh, you know, typically in that scenario, there's ways to do trust. And there's ways uh, you can create trust is uh, you can make them either irrevocable during the lifetime. You can make them irrevocable upon one of the spouse's death. You can make them to where the property upon that one of those spouses passes away, then it passes right outside of trust at a point of death, goes straight to your beneficiaries. Um, so there, there are ways to protect um, estates and to give you know, to those children because, um, and we also see a lot of people just, well, I trust my spouse and they do wills and, and, um, and there's a lot of trust factor in there. But again, people, people move on and they get remarried and, you know, they can change those wills. And if they decide to change those wills, you can't do anything about it. So now it could potentially go in uh, not to those children at all, which would have been, you know, the, the wife's uh, intentions. So, you know, those are real issues and they're all, you know, there are ways around them, but that's really where state planning is important. So, you can plan for those provisions. Well, that's great. Uh, another thing that I see, and I know Jonathan does as well, is people will uh, come in and say, yeah, we have a trust. And, but, but they've actually, uh, once they went and had the trust drawn up, but, it's never, but there's actually nothing in the trust. So uh, what do people need to be doing as it relates to the full process? If you're going to establish a trust, you know, what are you encouraging families to do to complete that full process? Because if the trust is unfunded, well, then is it, is it really complete? Is it finished? Well, you're absolutely correct. You know, both a, a will is a contract and a trust is a contract. So in those two, from the get-go, they're very, they're the same. They're two contracts. But the will is no good without probate. So it has to get approved by the court in order for it to move forward and be administered on the distributions. Well, a trust, as you said, it's no good unless it's funded. And uh, what funded means is the trust has to own whatever assets it's going to distribute. So if you if you create this, you spend the money and you make this trust and you create it, and really it's it's effective upon signing. So as soon as the you know the people who's making the trust, the trustors sign it, that trust is effective. It can own property, and it should because if it don't. It can't distribute anything it don't own. Um, so, uh, of course, if there's uh, if there's property involved, if if the people who's making the trust owns property, then they should have the property deeded to the trust, and that is something that we do. It's part of our pricing. We don't charge extra for that, unless there's just multiple properties. But we'll work that in. And but that's part of doing the trust and. 
but then you've also got bank accounts to consider, you know, anything with titles that requires a signature to transfer, that's, that should be in a trust. Uh, we do give, we do give a checklist and, um, you know, we'll take care of the titles for properties, but, you know, uh, going to the bank and, you know, how to do all that. And, uh, that's definitely something that, that we, we try to help the uh, clients with to fund that trust. Well, it gets really cumbersome to people about wills versus trusts and things like that. And I tell people just very simply, you know, a will is, is something that's going to tell uh, who the beneficiaries are and where the money distributes to. Uh, a trust is something that tells uh, stipulations and how it distributes in and around it. So um, at the end of the day, we hear about Tennessee being a probate state um, and uh Going through that probate process, you know, we're trying to avoid and bypass probate as much as possible. But, you know, what are some pros and cons around the probate process uh, as it stands? And, and what is probate in the beginning? So, all right, so what is probate? We'll start with that. So probate, it's, it's a court process that one has to prove that will. So that's really goal number one. The is validity the of it or what? Prove it. Yeah, meaning the validity of it. So, you know, we want to make sure that's the last will and testament. So that's one thing that the probate judge has to see, because if there's multiple wills, was this the last will? Because the last will is going to be the controlling will. How do they know? I see that all the time. I'll see somebody pull out a will and they'll say, this is the will. And then Jimmy Joe Bob says, no, but five years later he did this will and this is the will. I've seen that in my own family even. I mean, how do you know which one's real? Well, you start with the, the one that was signed last, and but but if there are multiple wills, one of the things that the judge is going to have to consider is, was this last will revoked in any way? If the other one's still, you know, one thing we tell clients, if they're going to come in with another will and they're going to revoke the prior will, one, we put that in the document that this revokes any prior wills. But the other part is Tennessee actually has an execution. Um, if that will was physically um, physically destroyed, then under the law, it was revoked. So what, and we, we don't tell nobody, don't, don't tear the will up until you get your new one, but tear it up and try to do it in front of one of the witnesses that could possibly testify in the future. You burn it, torch it. If can't nobody find it and produce it for the court, it's, it's going to be assumed that it was revoked. So the last will standing is probably going to control. The other part of probate is they got to prove, you know, you may, you name an executor in your will, but, uh, you know, just because you name that executor don't mean that's going to be your executor. That person's also vetted by the court because executor's got quite a bit of responsibility. And they actually got a new law that went in place last year, 2019, that says, you know, executors, can, can't they actually look at the back criminal background of the executor? So can't be a felon, and even it can't be any uh, misdemeanor crimes that re- involves some sort of honesty, like theft, for example. So now uh, executors are vetted pretty pretty strictly by the court. So because of that, that's another part of probates. You they want to vet out who this executor is going to be. But once all that is completed. Um, you know, that starts the probate process. The probate process, won't go through it here, but, you know, there's a lot of statutory time periods that gets run. Notice to creditors got to go out. Uh, so the, I guess for one of the pros that you ask, there's court oversight. 
So that's one pro of a will. You're going to make sure that the court oversees the process. It's going to get approved. It takes a little bit longer. In Tennessee, typically, it's at least six months for a typical probate to go. Um, and some of them are really much longer than that. But uh, but that's part of the process. It's, it's, so the pro is it should be done right uh, and overseen by the court. So the cons are going to be it's a probate process, so it takes a long time. It can be costly. Um, it's, it's, it's on typically it's going to be more than what a trust will cost you. So, uh, and again, the typically probates are done on hourly rates and hourly rates are you know going to be pretty high. And so, but if the executor does most of the work, it should keep the legal costs down and just use the attorney as kind of the you know, do this, do that, and this is what you do next. But the executor, as long as they do the work and keep some of that cost down. But either way, it's going to, it's going to cost more than what a trust would, would cost. I saw a case recently, and it blew me away, and it was this couple. And the guy had, you know, had a divorce years ago, and he remarried a, uh, a lady that he began dating. And um, he redid his will. Uh, power of attorneys, things like that. Um, but he, on a 401k, didn't reach back in and change the beneficiary. And he had left the beneficiary's ex-wife. And so on this 401k, when he passed, the 401k was still beneficiary designated to the ex-wife. Uh, but the new wife's understanding through the will was that, you know, any of his possessions were going to be going to her. And it created this big conflict in between. Uh, the kids were all involved in it. It was a mess. But talk to me a little bit about that. How can that even happen? Yeah, that's kind of what we talked about in the beginning. So you got to change those beneficiary designations because, again, it goes to the intent. Now, law say those beneficiary designations, whatever you've got, they vest upon death. So that's where you start. So the the family and you're in what you in that case there, they've got the burden to show that. That wasn't the intent of the deceased person. And so now you end up in litigation. And that's going to drive up the probate cost. And um, and that's a that's an, up, that's an uphill battle. Those beneficiary designated items don't have to go through probate, do they? That's exactly right. So, you know, that's the other part that uh, how do you minimize probate? Well, one, if you and even bank accounts, you know, if you don't. They actually have, banks have beneficiary designations for bank accounts. So, and they're either called transfer on death or pay on death, TODs or PODs, and those should be updated. And, it, you know, if you don't, if you have a trust, I think you just put the bank account in the name of the trust. But if you don't have a trust and you decide to go with a will, you should have those bank accounts with beneficiary designations. Because what that's going to do, to your point, you pass away, those bank accounts are now have access to who, whoever the beneficiaries are. So they don't have to wait on probate process. Matter of fact, it won't even be involved in probate. They will be able to have access. So, you know, the wife's uh, children in this scenario can, can go in and have access to those funds and it's theirs. It's outside of probate. So a goal would be to beneficiary designate everything that you possibly could to get it to bypass probate. And then the rest of it, the probate system is just to give validity to the will of what the remaining property is and where it goes, correct? 
That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. And of course, you know, probates also includes, you know, if there's debts in that, you know, if there's debts uh, or liabilities that are still out there, and that's part of probate too, you know, you got to, those will have to be paid assuming there's funds in the probate estate. But again, if all the bank accounts pass outside of probate, that leaves the probate pretty small. So there may not be funds there to pay any creditors. Well, the point is, uh, ladies, that it's so important that you take the time to make sure that your estate plan is in place uh, because the, the ramifications can be far greater than what you uh, would want to happen. Um, and, you know, the other thing is, is, is remember, we said this before, that, you know, 80% of the men die married and 80% of you women uh, die single. And so it's important that you're engaged and you know what's going on uh, so that, uh, uh, you know, when that time does come, then your family uh, is, is in good shape. It's also real important to know who's on those beneficiaries, you, you're right? Doggone right. <laughs> you're doggone right. I had that happen this last week where I met with a family and, and uh, uh, the wife was, was angry at her uh, at, at the husband that just passed away because he had uh, had other folks listed as a beneficiary. So if you're in your second marriage out there, so in some cases the third marriage, make sure who's on those beneficiaries because just because it's in the will, if something bypasses probate, you could have real problems. So make sure who's on those beneficiaries. But thank you to everybody out there who's been listening. Thank you so much, Will. Uh, that's Will Cartwright. Thank you for being on this show. Where today. can they find you at, Will, if they have questions? Yeah, thanks, guys. So the website is CartwrightLawLLC.com, and phone number is 615-785-2909. And uh, thanks again, Glenn and, and Mr. Scott. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And as always, if anybody out there has questions for, for Glenn or myself, they can reach us by calling directly over at Keystone Financial Resources at 615-661-9954, or you can visit us on our website, www.keystonefinancialresources.com. We look forward to talking with you and answering your questions. Don't ever hesitate to call. One final thing that I would add is if you have questions, ladies, as it relates to estate planning or anything else around your money, send us those questions, uh, topics that you want to hear us talk about on this podcast. Uh, we'd love to hear what's on your mind. You have been listening to Her Time to Retire with Glenn Price and Jonathan Scott. Glenn and Jonathan would love to talk to you and answer any of your retirement questions. All listeners can take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation with Glenn and Jonathan, whether via a phone call, Zoom meeting, or in person. You can schedule your consultation by calling 615-661-9554 or by visiting our website at www.keystonefinancialresources.com. Thanks for listening. The opinions expressed by Keystone Financial Resources and guests on this podcast are their own and do not reflect the opinions of this station. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Past performance cannot be used as an indicator to determine future results. Strategies mentioned may not be suitable for everyone. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for you. Before acting on any information mentioned, please consult with a qualified tax or investment advisor to determine if it is suitable for your specific situation. This program is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information with regard to subject covered. Investment advisory services offered through Brookstone Capital Management, LLC, or BCM, a registered investment advisor. BCM and Keystone Financial Resources are independent of each other. Insurance products and services are not offered through BCM, but are offered and sold through individually licensed and appointed agents. 